know.com clarity about reality alhamdulillah allah has blessed us to live another week today is the 17th of jumaa al-ula 1434 time is at hand and it's coming down to the wire for ramadan as i said before allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about his speech He says about the Quran. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. ذلك الكتاب لا غيب فيه هدى للمتقين. That is the book in which there is no doubt. In it is guidance for the pious ones. Allah subhanahu wa taala says further about his book. book. He says further about his book, by the noble Qur'an. So we saw, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, by the noble Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, بَلْ هُوَ قُرْآنٌ It is a majestic Qur'an. In the preserved tablet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says about His book, It is a reminder. Allah says about His book, فَمَنْ Indeed, whoever wills, let him take remembrance and know this. It's in pages that are noble. Exalted and pure. Written by the hands of scribes. Noble scribes that are righteous and that which they've been commanded to do. All of this is the speech of Allah that we have been told about. In huwa illa lil alameen. It's only a remembrance to the creation. All of this is talking about the speech of Allah. And one of the most unfortunate things that can befall a believer, whether they memorize Quran, or whether they just read it. One of the most catastrophic tragedies that can befall a believer is that he doesn't have the Quran as his companion. The Quran is Allah's speech. He has called it majestic, he has called it noble, he has called it mighty, he has called it great. He has used all these different things to refer to the Qur'an. And some of us have not taken the benefit of having the Qur'an as our companion. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam there is nothing better to gain nearness to Allah with than his speech. So 
that is the most noble thing to gain nearness to Allah with. Some people think, boy, if I could do so many goats of sacrifice, that's a blessing. And it is. If I could sponsor so many iftar meals, that's a blessing. It is. If I could help so many orphans, it is. All of those things are true. But you know something? If you have the Quran as your companion, it is one of the most blessed things in fact, the most blessed thing you can have. I want to narrate to you something that I think will catch your eye and arrest your ear. And will give you two things. Apprehension and comprehension. Some people apprehend things, but they don't comprehend. And some people comprehend things, and they don't apprehend. What's the difference? Comprehension is you understand that which is being said to you. The words are coming in, they're bouncing on the conclea, they go inside of the gray gelatin inside of the cranium, they get registered as electrical signals, the tongue begins to protrude from your mouth and begins clicking and moving and back and forth and with the actual nasal cavity and such, and that registers words to say that I understand what's been said to me. That's conversation. So the gray gelatin takes what's coming in, understands it, and then words come out to try to confirm that what the gray gelatin has registered as the electric impulses is correct. That is the comprehension. Apprehension is actually taking it and applying it. So there's some people that understand exactly what you're saying to them, but they don't apply it. I want you to go put your shoes on. Okay, okay, and he doesn't do it. Five minutes later, you come back, this happens more often than not with children. I want you to put your shoes on. Okay, okay. You come back two minutes later, shoes aren't on. Because he understood what you said, but he didn't apprehend it, he didn't apply it. This happens with people's ability to follow directions. You tell someone, now listen, we're cutting sheet metal, you push the sheet metal through with your hands. Not all the way, you push it and you press the button. So we were working in a sheet metal factory. And the man pushed it all the way through with his hands. What happened? Sheet metal dispensary came down, cut all of his fingers off, all the digits off, all four digits off. Landed in a basket next to the, next on a basket and had copyright 1990 on them. So we put them in a freezer tray, got him to the hospital, had his fingers sewed back on. Alhamdulillah, I didn't lose them. But it was a very valuable lesson for him regarding apprehension. Because he understood what we said, but that day, alhamdulillah, he apprehended it. And he will for the rest of his life. So it's an important point. Now sometimes we have the speech of Allah and we comprehend but don't apprehend. So here's what the hadith I want to mention to you. A woman came to the Messenger of Allah and proposed marriage to him. Proposed marriage to him. I want to get married to you. What? What are women doing proposing? How do they get out of how do they get out of their houses? What are they doing? How do they get outside? They're supposed to be locked up. What happened? I know. Someone left them out. Door was open. So a Muslim sister came forward, proposed marriage. This is in the hadith in Bukhari, unimpeachable. He refused the proposal. 
He refused the proposal. He said that he did not wish the proposal. But another companion said, but I wish to marry her. And the woman consented. What's she doing consenting? We'll get to that later. She consented, the man was happy, and the Prophet said, now give her something as maha. He goes, he comes back, he says, I have nothing. He says, go look again. He goes, he comes back, he says he has nothing. He does that three times, he's got nothing. He said, do you not even have an iron ring? Do you not even have an iron ring to give? Just something so simple as just a basic wedding band, just a basic ring. And that is also an evidence because slaves of Allah have been telling me it's bid'ah to have engagement rings or whatever else. Then what was he doing looking for one? That's a different thing. So the point is, he couldn't find an iron ring. So the Prophet وسلم, he said to him, do you know any of the Qur'an? He said, yes. I know, and he mentioned a number of surahs. And he said, therefore then, with that, I will marry you to her with what you know of the Quran. So lofty, so majestic is the rank of the Quran that the man didn't have jewelry or other things. He married him to the woman with what he knew of the Quran. Because he had the Quran as a companion. The speech of Allah was with him. He had it. That was the most valuable thing in his chest. One of the tabi'een was being buried, and this is in the introduction to the Sahih of a Muslim. One of the tabi'een was, was, excuse me, close to death, and his daughter was weeping. And he said, don't worry about myself. I have completed the Quran more than several thousand times in this home. Don't worry about me, for my affair rests with Allah. And he died. This man had the Quran as a companion. He had it as a companion. Khalid bin al-Walid radiallahu the greatest military general in history. He wasn't a scholar, he was a general. But what surahs he knew of the Qur'an, he cherished them greatly. He loved them. Because he had the Qur'an as a companion. When the Salat al-Tarawiyah, after the time of the Prophet became popularized, and the companions now were praying it in a more regular fashion in bigger groups in the masjid, Omar received an idea. And this is in Al-Mughni, Volume 1. It's also in the Muwadda of Ibn Mali, Volume 1, on, under the chapter in the Book of Tarawiyah, or the Book of Praying in Ramadan. He said, I want to gather the people and have them pray Salat al-Tarawiyah behind one imam. So he gathered all the people together and he chose the companion whose name appears in most of the senates that the Hufal bear today. <coughs> After Uthman, the most famous Qadi in Hifal, 
that appears today, which is in these mushafs, is Ubay ibn Ka'ab. He is one of the four that we were told you should learn Quran from him, for definite. His name is in the center chain of the mushaf here. Ubay ibn Ka'ab is put forward to lead the Salah. And all of the companions and all the Muslims are praying behind, Muslim Muslims are praying behind him, and they pray 20 rakah. Tarawih was established in his time, it's 20 rakah. But that's another time to discuss. The main point is, Ubayyim and Ka'ab, the Quran was his companion. The Quran was important. It was something that they didn't just cherish the Quran externally, but they cherished it internally. I want you to remember that the Quran, all of the things that we take for granted are in the Quran. I'll look at two examples first. I'll look at two branches of this. The first thing is the things that have to do with our day-to-day -day matters regarding wudu and salah. This is in the first pages of Surah Al-Ma'id, the fifth surah. Allah says, when you stand for salah, Ya ayyuhalladhinamu, you believe, ila quntum ila salati, when you stand for salah, wash your faces and your hands up to the elbows, wipe your heads, wash your feet up until the ankles. That's, that's the information on your wudu. The information regarding your salah. The information regarding how the salah is to be carried out in certain aspects is mentioned. The information regarding the adhan, some of it is in the Qur'an. All these things that we sometimes take for granted are in the Qur'an. They are there. Then you have other things that are in the Qur'an. The inheritance system, if you look at the history, and if you look in Surah Al-Nisa and Surah Al-Baqarah, and you study inheritance law, the most detailed and comprehensive inheritance law is that which is mentioned in the Qur'an by Allah. So detailed was it that Imam al-Khawarizmi had to devise a system to try to make it easier for the common people to learn inheritance law. That system is called algebra in English. It's called algebra. It was founded by Imam Muhammad al-Khawarizmi. Because the system was so comprehensive, he had to think of a way, how can I make this more, more accessible to the common man on the street. And so mathematics as we know it today, as we would understand it, when we teach the algebra and the qalqala, or the calculus by Imam, by Imam al-Qalqala, all of these things were done by them. Why? Because they were ayat and verses in the Qur'an, as well as in the sunnah, but we're talking about the Qur'an that needed to be simplified for people on the street. And so they created these mathematical systems that branched off from those things. When Allah said in the Quran, Fasiru fil ardi, travel through the earth and see how He Allah began the creation. This was the branch that scholars began to look at matters like Ibn Khaldun starting to do ethnology, sociology, archaeology. His book, Al-Muqaddimah, is the first comprehensive history book that was written. It was written more than 700 years ago. It's the first history book looking at world history, not just English history and the Huguenots and Shakespeare, 
Because history didn't begin in the 1700s when white men wearing stockings. But it's quite older. It's quite a bit older than that. And everyone in Africa wasn't stark naked with bones through their noses. That's simply not true. The history and civilization of the Zulu nation, the Posa, all these other nations, nations that now we don't know about, the Dahomey, all these big nations, he covered all of them. That's history. But where he got the impetus, the desire to do that from, is because he read the speech of Allah. And he took the Quran as a companion. I want myself and you to look and to think. Not just the fact of reciting the Quran, which the reward is massive. Not just the act of acting on the Quran, because the reward is massive. But also internalizing some of what's there. To read the speech of Allah, if you cannot read it in the original, then to read it in a translation whatever language it is you may speak, and to try to understand some of that which has been revealed to us. Because this book of 6,236 verses, 8,640 lines, 971,173 letters, this speech of Allah has been the companion of this ummah so much so that the Prophet said, I leave behind with you two things. If you take a hold of them, you'll never go astray. And the first one he mentions is always the Quran. If you take a hold of that, if you watch out, you take hold of that, you make use of that, you grip it, you hold it. If you do that, you will never go astray after. Ever. That's a promise from Allah. So, all of what Allah said about His revelation that is mighty, noble, majestic, without any doubt, a guidance, all of these, all of these things that He has said, we should take on board and think about has the Quran been our companion or has someone else? Has some other time come in between us and making the Quran our companion? <laughs> Five hundred years ago, Admiral Al Haji Muhyiddin Rais from Turkey commissioned and drew a world map that looks exactly like our world map today. Now, he was supposed to be just some dumb colored guy. But for some reason, 500 years ago, 
he somehow knew about all the continents and even drew the continental shelf near the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean, which obviously need deep sea diving equipment to see. He also drew the coast of Antarctica and drew a really accurate picture of the continents. I mean, everything was there. Greenland was there, Sweden was there, even Iceland was there. You mentioned a detailed discussion on the polar ice caps. All of this came from his original knowledge that he had gleaned from the Book of Allah and voyages that he and others had made. The Muslims realized they were able to navigate the whole of the continent of what we're calling Africa in English. They realized they were able to navigate the whole of that, but that they couldn't access it except by going through the Gulf of Suez. Because if they went north or east, they would wind up going around the rest of the world and they'd be cut off by other land masses. How would they know that? Because they followed in the Quran Volkarnain's travel plan. At Volkarnain, he didn't take any other way to get to where he was going to. They said, well, if he didn't take any of the southern hemisphere or the western hemisphere routes, it must be that the quickest point to his way was there. And so they got on their maps and charted the way and they began to get a better understanding. So in 693, you can find old pottery, 693 AD. 693 AD, you can find old pottery in California dating from a man by the name of Isa ibn Muhammad, who was a Muslim voyager. 693. That's only uh, 30 years after the death of the Prophet Muhammad, excuse me, 60 years. So you see, we're a people that, because we always get told that we've got to advance, we've got to move forward. You know, we're too busy throwing acid on each other and uh, murdering our daughters and stuff. We have to move forward. Our problem is, is not that we don't know how to move forward. Problem is, is we don't know when to move forward because we haven't taken the right instruction. All of these people, what they have in common, their scintillating brilliance in science and the other areas is the first thing that they made their business to do was to understand the speech of Allah. If you don't know who you are, you don't know where you are, you don't know what jurisdiction you belong to, you don't know what you're about, and you have no way to properly assess yourself in the world. There's people that come and argue with you about many different things. You stop the conversation and say, name all seven continents on planet Earth. Stop the conversation, just a second. Name all seven continents on planet Earth. They'll start saying China, Bolivia. Uh, so if they don't know the seven continents on Earth and they're arguing with you about some detailed matter. If you don't know basic fundamental geography, you don't know who you are because you can't assess where you are. When they ask people, and it always shows the level of what people put their importance in. When the Bosnian situation happened, where is Bosnia? Now they spoke to one fellow, he was in his 20s, he said this is in Western Europe. It's about a two to three hour flight from the United Kingdom. That's right. But this was a young fellow, he had glasses and he was, you could tell that he was 
he knew about where he was and where the world was at. But they're speaking to little kids all the way up to old guys. Where's Bosnia? I think it's somewhere in Africa. Where is Bosnia? It's next to Pakistan. Yeah, it's only 5,000 miles difference. Yeah, you're not too far off. <coughs> Why I'm saying this is when we're going throughout our life, the world that we should be in with regards to the Quran, the Quran is the center, it's the base, it's the pin. And if we don't know what we belong to, who we belong to, where we are, we can't truly tap into what our greatness is. I'll mention very quickly, there was a Turkish man I met when I was in London, and he was boasting about how great Turkey was since um, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk took it over and how, how he saved it from colonialism and that bringing the English would have taken over if it wasn't for him. I said, yes, but your problem is this. You haven't had a proper navy in 100 years. You haven't had a proper air force in 100 years. You haven't had any proper leaders in 100 years. The island that you govern, the portion of Cyprus that you govern, is so broken down and so poor, only you recognize it. Only you recognize it. What made your nation great? It wasn't just being Turkish that made it great. Because what happened to you that made you who you are? That gave you all the advantages that you had? That made you as noble as you were? What was it that gave you that? It had nothing to do with race. Because if it was, you would have done something with it. By now, you've had 85 years at the whip. Turks have failed miserably. I mean, the main thing they know them for is it's the world, it's the world capital for uh, sex change operations. I mean, if you think that's a noble endeavor, I suppose so. But in terms of your science and your math and everything else, they're not known for anything. When I think when I think Turkish, I think kebab. I think I, I think do open or close wrap. I don't think I don't think science or anything when I think Turkish. I don't. Because what have they offered the world in 85 years? Nothing. Because what made them great, they dropped it. <clears throat> they dropped it. And so, what I'm saying to you here is that we must, and we should, and we need to, and it behooves us to, take the Quran as our companion. To take a hold of it. Take it down from the shelf. Some of us have to blow some dust off of it. Oh boy, what is this? Sometimes the dust is so deep, we don't even know what this book is. It's covered in dust. What is this? And we rub the dust. Oh, subhanAllah, it's the Quran. I don't even have wudu. Let me put it back. We don't even know what that book is. Go make wudu, come back, unwrap it. Allahu Akbar. I didn't even know we had one of these in the house. Then you find out, then you crack it over, and oh, subhanAllah, the light is coming out. And then all of a sudden you realize what you've lost out on. Take it down. Open it. If you say, listen, Arabic, I don't even know the first thing about Tejweed. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, let's start it off simple. If your language is Kiswahili, you find a translation of Kiswahili. And you make two important statements to Allah. One is, I make it my business 
to try to read the translation of your book from cover to cover in one year. In one year. So to sit down, and whenever things pop up, whoa, I didn't know that, or I wonder what that means, you write it down. I've said to you so many times, everyone in here should have a day planner, a yearly planner. If you don't have a yearly planner, why are you alive? Bill Gates has got one. All the tyrants and criminals and thugs and gangsters, drug dealers have, have day planners. I know drug dealers who have yearly planners. Oh, my, I need to see this client. Prostitutes in Nevada have yearly day planners. You need a yearly planner. Why? Because when you, use, you take the Quran as a companion, you can track your progress. <coughs> I read this today. I read that today. I did this today. Sometimes I speak to people and I say, yeah, I want to read more Quran, but I just don't find myself having time. I said, you know, I know a way that can help you. Really? Yeah. From the time you get up to the time you go to sleep for, a week, for, a, for one week, write down everything you eat and everything you do in the day. Most people don't want to do that because they know. 5.30 to 9.30, television, ooh, it's a big old block of time. And then they write down what they ate for breakfast. Six eggs, one 12-ounce steak, two sandwiches, drank two <coughs> gallons of milk, did this, did that. Then they realize, subhanAllah, that's massive. Sat at desk all day moved twice, <laughs> prayed three times. You start to realize this is what happened to you. So what I'm saying is this. You should have a planner. Your plan of reading and completing the translation or understanding of the Quran, reading through it, if you're not doing careful of it, if you're doing careful of it, then you're already on the way. So then my advice doesn't apply to you in that sense because you're already on way because you're always hearing it and reciting it. So you should so my advice to you is as the Hafid or the one that's trying to become Hafid, you should continue going. Continue on your mission because you're on the road. But those that are not on the road should get a translation and make it their attempt to complete it in one year. So from now, today is the 17th of Jumadulula. By next 17th of Jumad al-Ula, you're like, alhamdulillah, I've read it cover to cover. I've read it cover to cover. This gives you time to read so many pages a day. Reflect, think, consider, write down points. Whoa, what about this? What about that? SubhanAllah. Because you are going to find things in the Quran that contradict what you think you know about the Quran. See, we're Muslims, and that therefore makes us experts about Islam. No, it doesn't. Any more than the fact that you have a lamp in your house doesn't make you an electrician. And the fact that you've got a rug in your house doesn't make you a carpenter. But the fact that you have a boiler in your house doesn't make you a plumber. Having something doesn't make you an expert in that thing. And a lot of us, we don't think we do. I don't have any foreign and strange ideas. Oh, yes, you do. 
you read the Quran, that will be pushed out of your mind. Because you have ideas on evolution, you have ideas about false ideas about democracy, you got false ideas about gender roles, you got false ideas about what man's what a man's role is, you have false ideas about what a woman's role is, you have false ideas about what society should be, you have false ideas about freedom, you have false ideas about capitalism, you got all these funky, discombobulated, disconfragulated, completely uh, messed up in so many different ways I can't properly vocalize it. You have so many of these different things that have to be undermined. The Quran will debrief you because you've been brainwashed. It took me seven years to get debriefed. That's why when I'm standing before you, I seem like a little bit of a nut. That's okay. Soon you'll be like me. You'll get debriefed. And then I won't seem like a nut. But I look like a nut because some of us haven't been debriefed yet. That's all. You just need to be debriefed. You don't think I'm right now, but you will, inshallah, later. Take the Quran as a companion. I want to, for the next couple of khutbahs, discuss taking the Quran as a companion, how and how to read the Quran. Because Allah gives you directions in the Quran how to read it. Books that are on science or math tell you this is how you read this book. When you open it up, and the book is from uh, McGraw-Hill Publishing, they tell you, this is how you read this book. When you open a science book, they tell you, this is how you read this book. A chemistry book, and sometimes they'll have the address to teachers, this is how you read this book. You turn the page, students, this is how you read this book. If you're reading to a class, this is how you read this book. They tell you everything about how to utilize that book. Allah's told you in the Quran how to read the book. It's just for us to reflect on it. So my final thing then is to say at the introductory statement, the next three khutbahs I want to talk about, the Quran being our companion. How to read it, how to act on it, and how to get the maximum benefit out of it. <laughs> لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير لا إله إلا الله ولا نعبد إلا إياه له النعمة والفضل والثناء الحسن الجميل لا إله إلا الله مخلصين له الدين ولو كره الكافرون لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير اللهم لا مانع لما عطيت ولا معطي لما منعت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد اللهم اغفر لنا المؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات والمحسنين والمحسنات والمجاهدين ومناقبات الأحياء منهم والأموات Oh Allah, we ask that you forgive us for our sins from this last Jum'ah up until this Jum'ah today. Oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who take the Qur'an as a companion and act on its statutes and what's listed in it. Oh Allah, we ask that you protect us from abandoning the speech of Allah and going astray. Oh Allah, we ask that you protect us from the evil in our own actions and what shaitan plans against us. Oh Allah, we ask that you protect us from being a tribulation for the unbelievers and being an excuse for them staying away from this faith. Oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who if we have doubts in our hearts, that you answer them. And if we have tribulations, that you cure them of them, cure us of them. 
I know, Allah, we, we ask that you give us strength in our times of difficulty. I know, Allah, we ask that you give us strength in our times of tribulation. I know, Allah, we ask that we don't become ungrateful in the times of plenty when you give us blessings in abundance. I know, Allah, we ask that you make us among those who glorify your name at all times. Oh, Allah, we ask that you remove cowardice and laziness from our hearts and that you replace it with bravery and hardworkingness. And oh, Allah, make us among those who mention your name at all times and let us die the best death and have the best way as we go back to you. no clarity about reality see more at no.com